So I have a question, and this may be like one of the kind of the points of the series, but okay. Um, so the Federation is opposed to scarcity, like has no currency, right? Uh, well, sure, yeah, that's fairly accurate. Yeah, because um, what's about to ha- so in a way, there's a lot of business owners and people that do not want the Federation to take over because that means that they essentially don't have money, right? Like, well... what, what would what would Quark's uh, reason for joining the Federation be? Is not there's no profit really in that? Well, he's not really joining the Federation, so I guess okay. So we're talking about a man alone. This is the second episode of Deep Space Nine. Uh, to answer it- your question, I think that. What, what what Quark's relationship is and what the relationship is of the businesses on the promenade is a little different than maybe what you're imagining. Uh, it's a Federation it's a Federation space station now, but it's not owned by the Federation. It's not sort of like um, it's 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 administered administered by the Federation, but it's owned by the Bajoran government. Okay, and so Bajor still has a functioning economy with a functioning currency system, and everybody that is coming to the space station to conduct trade or business or whatever. Uh, usually will come from a civilization that has currency. So it's not really that Quark doesn't want to join the Federation. It's more that Quark well, doesn't want to be uh, under the strictures of the Federation. I guess I'm just thinking of this um, in general, because, again, we've been talking about how the series is going to be one of those, you know, already I'm seeing it's about reasons not to join the Federation. Anytime we've seen a, you know, civilization not wanting to join, it's been really weird. Um, so, yeah. You know, this would change a civilization's economy, you know. Again, I could see some people be who are particularly rich not wanting to join the Federation for those reasons. I'm wondering if that comes into play, I guess. Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, I don't think... I mean, I don't oh. know. It's interesting that you get a read of, of DS9 in its second episode being a show that's about people not wanting to join the Federation because I wouldn't necessarily say that it's about that, and I think you'll see that as the show goes on. I don't know that I really want to talk too much about what you think the show is, but maybe it's interesting to kind of say, okay, what does the show look like in the in the second episode? Because what w- what I think is interesting about Deep Space Nine, and I think what you're already picking up on, is that um, it is a very different show than The Next Generation. It has very different interests and aims, I think, even in the early seasons. And it's sort of a different look at the Federation. It's an outside look at the Federation, so you're seeing a lot of stuff about, and we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll really talk about this in past prologue, but these people don't necessarily look favorably on the Federation. They're people that look at it as something that is sort of like not oppressive necessarily, but is not really aligned with their um, their goals, really. Well, I mean, you have somebody like in, uh, you know, in A Man Alone, Odo pretty much talks a lot about how he doesn't really like to have you know, rules and strictures around him. Um, you know, he talks about how he doesn't like to date because it's all this compromise. Like, you're not, you know, you don't get to watch what you want to watch, you know, that night. Yeah. Um, you know, and he talks about how, you know, even, you know, there's that really interesting scene where he says, you know, life under the Cardassians was oppressive, but it was simpler, you know. He says this very sarcastically, but... um well, that's something that you'll see, I think, as the show goes on, and I think as the character of Odo develops, because he is a character that re- is really defined by by rules and is really defined by... It's interesting, because I think that that Odo's experiences and sort of his nature as a shapeshifter plays yeah, into yeah. that as well, because, you know, what you're seeing is a character who can kind of be anything he wants to be, uh, but he feels very, very safe and feels very, very comfortable under very strict rules and regulations, I think, maybe because of that. 
I don't know. See, I uh, don't know. Like, I find that I'm finding that Odo doesn't really like to follow other people's rules. I mean that that's the. Uh, uh, I think I Odo he, likes. He, I think he, Odo likes to follow the rules that he likes to follow. If well, I was sense. about to say it's it's you know we are dealing with the spirit of the law kind of thing. Um, you know, Odo will generally, you know, follow what the rules are because you know they're there for a reason and all of that. But you know, I think we're seeing already that he's willing to break the rules or ignore the rules. He ignores hierarchies all the time. I mean, yeah, this episode is about him dealing with the fact that he doesn't have that option in a way. Yeah, and I think, which is interesting, though, because, you know, from what we've seen of the Cardassians so far in The Next Generation and, and just a couple episodes of Deep Space Nine that we've covered, I, I don't really get the sense that the Cardassians are, are a, or an organization or a government or a people that want other people to ignore their rules and regulations. So it's interesting that you get that read on Odo. I think that Odo figured out how, from from what well, I've seen so far is, no, go ahead. Um. I will say that number one, a lot of that is his relationship to Kira. Again, he, okay. you know, based on, you know, from that moment in the in the pilot when he says, you know, no, we're doing this. You know, are you, con-? you know, um, it seems like he, she, you know, she does trust him in this episode. We almost see her trusting him to a fault. Um, and, uh, um, you know, she believes that again, we've, we saw in, we saw next generation a lot of times, you know, Picard or something would say, you know, this just has to be and just trust me on this. And, you know, we did know the characters. We did know that they were trustworthy. I guess part of the reason it's standing out with Odo and Kira is because we don't know them. But that relationship has been, you know, built over a while. Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. And well, and that's interesting because, you know, maybe we should talk about not individual characters, but about yeah, sort of I'm the re- relationships. I'm finding you're ready. Yeah, this is a much more complex show to talk about again you you know part of that is we're just starting to talk about it sure but you know there's the mystery plot of this which is just a simple locked room mystery you know but there's a lot of subplots in this even you know more so than the next generation of course well yeah because the next generation was a much simpler show in a sense it it was self-contained it was these are all characters that are that are kind of new to each other and of course you had relationships in the past between say Riker and Troy or between Picard and and Crusher but for the most part these people were all new to each other and the backstories didn't really impact their working relationship right now because the they didn't really spend any time together for years right and and in Deep Space Nine you already have characters that are coming in that don't know each other like for example um, you know Bashir doesn't really know anyone Um, Miles O'Brien doesn't really know anyone you know, Cisco knows Dax, but that's really it. And then what you have is you have the other characters, the non-Federation characters that have been on Deep Space Nine for a while. You have Quark, you have Odo, you have Kira. And so, and especially I think that, that we see this in past prologue and we'll talk about that when we get that uh, to that episode. But, you know, what, what we're seeing in A Man Alone already is that these characters do have these relationships and it is going to feed directly into the show and it is going to feed directly into how these characters change and evolve because we're stepping into the middle of something. We didn't do that in The Next Generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm even thinking, you know, because you said, oh, Brian doesn't know anyone, but, uh, you know, I love... I mean, he knows his wife, but... <laughs> yeah, well, you know, of course, but, you know, the whole Keiko subplot, I mean, that, again, that's one that it doesn't really do much it's not you know a life-changing it doesn't you know underline the themes but it's something that happens and it's you know definitely number one another angle on these characters that we do know fairly well at this point and 
it gives yet another uh, take on what this, you know, station means, you know. We've seen, as far as we've seen O'Brien, you know, this is a promotion. This is more responsibility. This is, you yeah. know, this is a great thing. But, you know, yeah, for Keiko, that is a, you know, that is a true thing. This is not going to be the kind of environment that she's usually going to thrive in. And, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I guess, you know, I mean, Keiko, I find kind of a problematic character sometimes. I mean, I think that she's much more fully developed in Deep Space Nine. Uh, you know, she's on the show, yeah. you know, qu- quite a bit just because she is married to one of the main cast. I mean, we didn't. So we saw her on The Next Generation, what, like twice, maybe three times at most. No, no, she was there a few times, but. Yeah, you know. I mean, she was there in Data's but, Day when she but, was introduced. She was there in uh, Rascal. She was there in that episode where they get um, kid. They all get kidnapped by the crazy, you know, aliens power play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, oh, when you she know, was little kid Keiko. And- yeah. Um, but all we know about Keiko really is that she's Japanese, she's married to Miles O'Brien, and yeah. she's a botanist. That's all we really know about her. And Which, so you know, th- given, this... g- given the amount of you know, time that, you know, again, Next Generation had to be, in a way, a tighter show. And, yeah. Well, yeah, know... because they had to tell a story in 45 minutes. I think you're already seeing that. Well, let me ask you this question outright. You know, does this show feel less self-contained than The Next Generation already? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I'm finding it kind of hard to talk about the episodes as discrete episodes. Again, I'm not even really talking about the plot right now. Um, yeah. And, 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 and to a certain degree, I don't think that the plot of a man alone really matters that much. I think no. I think past prologue, the plot matters more um, the, in a man alone. This is really an episode that is place setting goofy that is about sort of plot. Yeah. But it's about developing the characters more, whereas early episodes of the next generation were very much about, Oh, what is actually happening? You know, what's this mystery? Where are we sort of things? It doesn't matter in this episode so much. Well, yeah, that was one of the things I had said about the prologue that, you know, again, Odo, he didn't really have much to do in the prologue, you know, but you know, there was only so much that they could put in here. Now we're dealing with now he's kind of the focal character of this episode. Yeah. And I, you know, know, like Cisco isn't really, as much it, this episode isn't about Cisco in the same way that the pro the uh, pilot was. Well, and I think that that's you know I, I don't want to talk too much again about about sort of how Deep Space Nine grows and evolves, but I think that what you're already seeing is that you know P- Picard was very much the the center of the next generation. He was kind of the main character, and as much as that show had a main character, I don't know that in these first three episodes that you could really say the same thing about Cisco. He's not in the show that much, aside it, from the pilot. I have to say, this is a lot more of a soap opera. Let, let's let's be honest about that. I mean, this this, but not in a bad way. No, no, in a very good way. I mean, it's structured in a it's it's a science fiction soap opera in that it's more about the relationships between the characters. It's more about you know what they're doing, you know, on a longer and continuing their stories than it is about you know. Of, but of course, you know, it is focusing on the plot again. I did like the plot of a man alone. It's not well. Like I think. I, I think it's interesting that you say that because a man alone, the, the we sort of have these again. We have these dual characters, right? So we have um, we have the subplot between Dax and Bashir in the beginning of the episode, yeah. where Bashir's like hardcore hitting on Dax. We have the the relationship between uh, Cisco and Dax. We have the relationship between Jake and Nog. We have the relationship between Miles and Keiko. We have the relationship between Odo and Kira. And so, to a large degree, 
this is not really an episode about anything in as much as it is about exploring how different people are um, shaped by, I guess, the relationships that they're in. And I think that this is really, um, strangely enough, I think it's a different way for Star Trek to go. And I think that it's something that The Next Generation, while it was really focused on character work, especially in sort of the middle part of The Next Generation, once Michael Piller came on, it wasn't really a show about any two relationships, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, obviously, you can see that potential much more built in here than it was in... And also Cisco and, and, and Jake, of course. That's another relationship. Yeah, yeah, show. yeah, yeah. But I think that, that going back to, to Keiko for a second, uh, you know, I, I, I want to kind of talk about her and then maybe put her to bed. Um, not literally, Whoa. because that would be weird. But, you know, it's interesting to me that, you know, when we saw her in The Next Generation, again, we really only knew a couple things about her. We knew that she was a botanist. We knew she was married to O'Brien. And we knew she yeah. was Japanese. And we knew she was a mother. And that's all we really knew. And I think that that if you look at it on a um, on a symbolic level, which is, you know, what we like to do here on Trek About sometimes, you know, she's a botanist and she's a mother. Those are very nurturing things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, She takes care of things. And so... Where do they take that in Deep Space Nine? You know, they have that conversation, you know, certainly um, in the early part of A Man Alone between O'Brien, well, between the O'Briens. I can't really say O'Brien anymore because you don't know which one I'm talking yeah. about. Uh, whether on the promenade and O'Brien is sort of saying like, well, there's lots of plants in the Gamma Quadrant. You could set up an arboretum here. Wouldn't the promenade look great with trees planted on it? Yeah. And she's kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever. We don't need that. What we really need is a school. And in a certain sense, it's like, wait a second, what? But then you think about it, and it kind of makes sense for her character, I think. And, you know, it makes sense for the show, especially picking up on, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this is a space western in a lot of ways. In a different, oh, sure. In a different way than, um, you know, this is more about settling the frontier. You know, you know, Keiko is really just, you know, she sets up a one-room schoolhouse, literally. You know, Doc... You know, Dr. Bashir thinks he's going to be, you know, the doctor of this little town. I mean, right. you know, that's really, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm i now starting to imagine Deep Space Nine is, you know, it was overrun by banditos. And then, you know, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> you know, we're civilizing the frontier. But, you know, but that is, that is w- exactly what's happening here. Yeah. And. Yeah, and I think that there's also, you know, if if you look at it even on a more like structural level, I mean, the 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 wormhole in effect is is like the Oregon Trail or something. Yeah, yeah, right? it's it it no, it's it's the train finally caught a track through town, you know. Right, right, and that's what you know. Again, I mean, we're we're talking, we're it's. I think we're already going to have problems talking about the two episodes we cover each week as discrete entities because they do sort of bleed into one another. But that's what Kira even says in past prologue to um whatever the guy's name is. I have it in my notes for past prologue, but they're not up right now. Uh, where she kind of says, this is Bajor's chance. We have a wormhole now. There's yeah. going to be so many people, ships, uh, coming through Bajor. We can rebuild our economy. You know, this is what is happening. It really, literally, like you said, the train has finally arrived to the town. You know, uh, oh, now I really want to talk about where she goes in this because I love that. <laughs> I liked that scene a lot. I mean, she's, she's become, uh, all of these characters are becoming very interesting, especially the more that, you know, I find that I'm watching it for very different reasons. You know, in uh, in Next Generation, I was interested to see, oh, I wonder what Crusher's going to do in this cool plot next week. But yeah. you know, here I'm interested more, and in, well, who really are you know in learning more about these characters and figuring out what because we don't really know most of their backstories yet, and they matter and seem to matter in a way that you know, for example, Data's backstory didn't. Right. These, I think. 
I don't know. Well, let me ask you this question very basically. Do you think that these people feel more like people than the Next Generation cast? I mean, you, you, then they, the Next Generation cast felt in season one, I will say. Because okay. by the end, they had certainly been built up and certainly had come to complexity. And then even, you know, characters like Ensign Rowe that they introduced later had that bit more of, you know, you can you can see them gearing up towards this show, of course. Um, yeah. Well, but, I think, okay, so there's a, well, there's a couple things here. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about sort of the production background of Deep Space Nine, but I think that this is a, an interesting thing to talk about in light of all this character, you know, conversation we're having. You know, number one, the show was co-created by Michael Piller. So, so that's, yeah. you know, that was the man, again, who really made The Next Generation a character-based drama. Um, he stepped down, I think, at the end of the second season, um, and, and, and a man named Iris Stephen Bear, who I think was a consulting producer for the first and second season, stepped up to be the, the showrunner. Um, and so yeah. that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, and the other thing that I think is, is interesting to talk about is that, you know, A Man Alone was, was filmed as the second episode, but it actually was aired after Past Prologue. So Past Prologue was aired first. Um, I, we just did it this way because this is how it is on Netflix and it would just yeah. get too confusing to be like, watch Past Prologue first and then A Man Alone. Um, but I don't think it matters too much, but I, I, in a certain sense, I think that a man alone is a much better second episode, although I can see why they showed past prologue first, because past prologue is much more of a self-contained story. And it definitely is a much more interesting plot than a man alone. You know, I mean, watching these, having watched these three episodes, one of the things I keep thinking of is that, you know. I know he's a fairly controversial figure these days, but that Joss Whedon thing about how your first five episodes are your are your pilot, really. And I'm seeing that very much here in that, yeah, you know, it's not that they're interchangeable. Obviously, the you know, the actual pilot goes first, but, you know, the the episodes are resonating with each other and they're building on each other in complexity, but it's not. They're not doing so necessarily linearly. You know, it's not like they, you know, in sure. past pro it's not like in past prologue he says, Wow, you know, what would that weird clone murder, you know, that we had last week, you know, or oh, I hear next week, you know, my old friend's coming into the station. I wonder what's gonna happen. You know, like it's not like that, but you know, I I Well, it's more organic it, than that. I think Yeah, that- yeah, yeah. It's taking I mean, it's in a way in a way it's taking its time to develop, you know. It's giving these characters room to breathe and you know again if we don't quite know who dax is you know we'll find out you know i trust that they've figured it out at least yeah well there's an episode i think if it's not next week it's the week after uh called dax yeah i saw that (laughs) so we get we get to see a little bit of her backstory well yeah i think that's interesting and i think that you know uh, what i find really intriguing is that you know there's been a lot of conversations recently um about you know serialization and about sort of like how did this come about and you know all these kind of things right and i think that uh, there's there were there's a there was a lot of early groundwork laid for serialization on television and this is something that we've talked about before on Trek about but uh, you know what one of the things that I think is is instructive to look at is the way that uh, the next generation sort of dipped its toes in those waters and the yeah. ways in which Deep Space Nine dips its toes in those waters and I think that what you're seeing already is that the show is very much willing to just sort of like not resolve. It, it it will resolve the plot of the episode in the 45-minute running time, but it will not necessarily resolve the character stuff in the 45-minute running time. Well, yeah. Again, I think you, you get the uh, – there is very much the sense that Next Gen got its continuity by looking at episodes that – you know, oh, we got to write an episode. They looked at some of the past stuff. They thought, oh, we can go a little deeper into here, or I would like to see that character again. Um, 
here, and I think you mentioned it had been only really done on a seasonal basis, but still you see when they create the character of Dax, they know exactly how she came to be and what that means. And, you know, right. they know exactly the difference between the two. Whereas, again, you would have seen Next Gen would have just introduced this concept of the symbiote. And then if we want to deal with that the next season, you know, maybe we'll make something up. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a I really mean, good way it, to put it, it. It worked a little more by retconning. And again, I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, we talk about, you know, the Dark Pages, you know, an, an amazing example of retconning. That's kind of how Next Gen dealt with more of that stuff, I would say. Well, I think so. And I also think that if you look at the way that that the, uh, that a man alone treats sort of the Cisco and Dax relationship, where they, you know, have this very familiar relationship, but also at the same time, there's a lot of hints of what their past was like, but we don't really know right now. And yeah. also, and also, frankly, the fact that they're still trying to feel each other out. I mean, you know, Dax even says as much in this episode when she tells Cisco, she says, look, sometimes, you know, troll friendships do not survive the, the change. Yeah, especially for, I mean, what, what, when he's talking to Bashir and he's saying, you know, he basically says, you know, we used to go gambling and, you know, pick up women, you know, they, they had a frat bro relationship essentially. Yeah. Know? And, you know, that's definitely going to change again. He's, you know, he, there's almost a sadness to it. You know, it's not that, you know, it's not quite that Dax has died, but in a way Dax has changed irrevocably. And there is a, well, the, da- of, the Dax that Cisco knew. Yeah. There's a sense of mourning almost, you know, inherent in knowing a trill, I guess. And I guess in a, in a certain sense, it's weird because I think that the way that Cisco, you know, and the Dax relationship has been portrayed so far, Almost feels like it's kind of like how, you know, you treat a relative of a friend who's died or something and you're sort of like feeling this out and you're like, okay, are we going to be friends now? Like what, how is this actually going to happen? And it's, it's, it's strange because it is the same person and it's not. I mean, Dax does have all of the memories of Curzon Dax, but I mean, she's not, she's not the Dax that Cisco knew. You know, even to a degree, I, I, I doubt that this was exactly on their plate, but I mean, this this has a lot of resonances to uh, trans issues in a way. I mean, you get the sense sure, that, sure. you know, this is somebody who has become themselves in, you know, a different or more full way than you might have known them previously. And there's, again, still the same person, but, you know, or it's, it's, again, any life change, any life change that happens to a person that changes who they are. Yeah. There's that, you know, you, you go to college and you meet with an old friend. I don't know. I, I like, but... There's a lot. These are all the resonances that are in this story, and it's a very interesting one for that reason, I would say. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that it's one of the ways that I think the show is able to develop these relationships in a much more interesting fashion because it's not. And that's kind of, I think, the the, the power of the show so far is I, that. They're not. They don't have to wrap up these these character storylines in forty five minutes. The next generation, if something happened to Riker, like the Outcast, for example, yeah. perfect example. If we're talking about a show that's you know an episode that's talking about you know gender and sexuality issues, uh, Riker's Riker's character storyline in that episode was pretty much wrapped up in those forty five minutes, and it was never mentioned again. In in Deep Space Nine. That's just going to keep feeding into and, and sort of shading all the interactions that these characters have. Yeah. I do like the way she treats Bashir, though. She does, because let's face it, she's 300 and he's, you know, what, 30, 40? 
I mean, he's... I think he's actually supposed to be younger than that. He's supposed to be, like, 24 or something. He, I, I, you know, you could tell he's very young, but she's treating him like she's a teacher and he's, a, you know, a kindergarten student with a crush, you know? She's very almost yeah. amused by it, but... And there's a certain degree to which I think that Terry Farrell's portrayal of Dax in this episode is... It's a little too much, like... It's a little too aloof for me, in a way, if okay, you know what so I mean. That, but that, so that, cha- that shifts throughout the course of the uh, series, I guess? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I don't want to go too much further into it, but I, but Fair I think enough. that it's it's safe to say that the way that the characters are in the in the first few episodes are not exactly the way that they are. But that's that's true but for that's every television pilot, you know, show. Especially. So I'm not. Yeah, I mean, that's not going to be anything that shocks you, really. <gasps> but yeah, I think you're right, and I think that that the way that all the characters are interacting is 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 really intriguing, especially with with Bashir and Dax. Um, I guess maybe the final thing to talk about before we wrap this up and move on to past prologue is the actual plot of the episode. I mean, it's kind of an afterthought in a way, but I do think at the same time it sets up, it sets up an interesting thing because it is setting up some, some maybe some longer term storylines around how Bajoran people feel about Cardassians, how they feel about people that worked with the Cardassians. Now, of course, you know, Ibudan and 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 the guy on the promenade was like trying to do something weird and, you know, trying to get Odo into some sort of trouble. But at the same time, there might be some residences there. I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, in a lot of ways, I found it was a goofy, you know, Star Trek mystery plot. You know, you have uh, you know, it, it's an opportunity to give Odo something to do. It's an opportunity to actually show Dr. Bashir being very smart and coming up with something out of left field in a way. Um, yeah, sure. But, you know, what What? What I got most from that is, again, these the way these trust issues are going. And, you know, th- there's that one scene in Cisco's office when he says, you know, I'm sure you didn't have... And Odo basically says, well, you don't know me. You know, how do you know that, you know... You're just, he basically rightly says, like, you're just saying that, like, I wouldn't, you know, uh, basically either you're not suspicious enough or you're lying to me, you know, because you don't, you don't know me from Adam. You know, it's very different when Kira says, you know, she trusts Odo because again, they've, I, you know, they've sold that they've had a long-term relationship, you know, it's like, you know, she is, he is kind of her Riker in some ways. But um, well, and I think, you know, it's interesting that you say that at the same time, though, because Odo's in a very important position on the station. I mean, he is the chief of security. That is a you know, he's basically I mean, if you want to go into the Western terms again, he's the sheriff. He's the law. He's the guy who's keeping order on the on the promenade and, and frankly, on the station and keeping everyone safe. And so, you know, Cisco, I I can understand Odo's reaction to Cisco. But at the same time, I can understand Cisco's reaction to Odo because Cisco sort of has to trust Odo because you know, Odo is in a very important position and Cisco has to uh, uh, be able to count on him and sort of, you know, it's it's sort of like giving him the benefit of the doubt in a way. And for Odo to come to him and say, oh, well, you don't know me. How do you know that I didn't kill him? Um, is... But, you know, and that's as much that Odo doesn't trust Cisco, you know, as much as Cisco doesn't trust Odo. I mean, again, let's face it, that goes both ways. Odo doesn't know Cisco from Adam, you know. Really, all at this point, all Cisco's done was one successful mission where he got trapped in a wormhole for a little while. You know, yeah. he, he doesn't necessarily know whether Cisco is the kind of person who will bullshit him like that or whether he can make that leap. Do you know what I mean? I, I can see that. Yeah. And I think that in a strange way, Deep Space Nine is a place where these characters have to be able to rely on each other. Uh, maybe not much more than on a starship, but 
in a different way than on a starship because these are people that are basically they're living in a static place they're not traveling they're not they're they have day-to-day problems that they're not they're just not going to have on a starship yeah. and so and in a lot of ways i mean they another one in a, in a lot of situations there may not be a completely clear protocol over who really has the right jurisdiction on that who really yeah. has the right call you know and so I mean, there's Bajoran law, there's Federation law. Yeah. I mean, which one is going to be, there? it's going to be in conflict, right? I think you it's know, already in conflict in this there's episode. There's Cardassians on the ship all the time. We're going to see in past prologue Cardassian law come into play. So yeah. really they have to trust each other. Is looking, they're all looking out for the right best interest and they are looking out for common interest. Again, that's been the, these people haven't necessarily realized that they're all on the same side yet. They have inklings of it. They're probably fairly sure that they're all working for the same side. But let's let's also be honest that no one quite knows what side they're working for themselves. You know, yeah. Cisco doesn't really know what his purpose is. You know, Kira works for Bajor, but she doesn't quite know what Bajor means, you know, especially, again, in context of the next episode. Is that old Bajor? Is that a vision of a future Bajor? Is that Bajor in the Federation? Right. An independent Bajor? I mean, you have... You know, every single one of these characters has six possibilities of things they're working for. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe that's a good opportunity for us to move on to past prologue then, because we've already started to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and and maybe this is how things are going to go in Deep Space Nine. Maybe the, the these conversations are just going to bleed into each other a lot more. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What, what I mean, this is much more of an episode about Kira. This is much more of an episode about Bajor and what Bajor's future is. And you know, let, let, let's keep that line of thinking going. I mean, Kira has a, a very, I think, unclear idea of what she wants Bajor to be and what the yeah. future of Bajor is. I mean, what, what do you, what, what sense do you get from her so far? You know, I think this is, this episode, it's kind of, so, so number one, I just have a, uh, to go back a second, is this the group that Ensign Rowe ends up joining in her final episode? No, no, that um, that's the Maquis. Oh, okay. So they're the Maquis okay. is okay. So just to give you the the rundown, because there's a lot of these like terrorist groups. I was about around. to say, I get the sense that you know we can you know basically if we need to introduce a new resistance group on Bajor, it's very easy to do that. <laughs> yeah, and so there's a couple there's a couple of different things. So it's some backstory here. So Kira was in the Resistance. So the resistance was sort of like the generic, all-encompassing term for Bajorans who were fighting against. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cardassian control. Then you had the Kon Ma, who I don't know if they ever really come up again after this episode, but I I could be wrong. They're more of like the real terrorists who were like this is ISIS, this is Al Qaeda, you know. Set yeah, setting off bombs and they're still. They even said they're still assassinating people. They said the Kon Ma assassinated a, a Bajoran provisional government official, you know, like a couple weeks ago or whatever. Um, and then there's the Maquis, which is similar to the Bajoran resistance in that they're fighting against the Cardassians, but they're Federation citizens. And that, and that feeds into what we saw in the seventh season of the next generation with Journey's End, where Federation planets and Cardassian planets and colonies kind of like change sides on the border. And so some Federation colonies are now in Cardassian space and some Cardassian colonists are now in Federation space. So the Maquis are basically the Federation colonists who are now in Cardassian space and don't like it. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. That makes things make a little more sense. At this point, um, obviously, this is before the Maquis were mentioned on Next Generation. So right. you know, they'll, they'll be introduced in a different way. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
she, you know, so she meets this, uh, this old, you know, contact of hers. Now, obviously, you know, the resistance and the, what, what were they called again? Cone Ma. The resistance and the Cone Ma obviously probably work together a little more often than anyone officially admitted, but, um, they had different names, they had different methods, and, you know, she's at a point where, you know, yeah, I, she's seeing what she doesn't want through this guy, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, when, you know, when they're talking about, oh, we want an end to the violence, you know, we're stopping that. For her, she's realizing, I think, I think this is her talking it out in a lot of ways. Yeah. That's her realizing that, no, I don't want violence. You know, I do want a peaceful Bajor. And, you know, she's looking at this wormhole and she's saying, you know, no, the old, we can't go back to the way things were because, you know, that's how the Cardassians were able to come in in the first place. You know, she... When she says, you know, I want to, we want to be able to defend ourselves, you know, that implies that they were not able to. Well, I think and, there's, I think there's like two or three different things going on here. I think that number one, you're right. I think that Kira is talking this out and realizing exactly what she wants, and frankly, that she has hope again for the first time. Yeah, maybe that the, you know, no one's a hundred percent trusting the Federation right now, but she realizes that we do need help in order to you know, deal with this wormhole and deal with the increased trade and deal with the lack of resources, you know, for right now, and that the Federation is going to be the best choice for that, you know? Well, she seems to recognize in a way that a lot of other characters or a lot of other Bajorans so far have not, and this guy Tanalos in the Cone Maw is, is part of that. Yeah. Uh, he's really, st- I think there's, what 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 Kira's seeing part of is that uh, Tanalos is really stuck in the past and has not been able to move on and adapt to the yeah. new circumstances. And he's still fighting, you know, the war from five years ago. He's not currently fighting the the the, the battle that's ha- currently happening. He's fighting one from from a few years ago. So that's number one. And I think that w- what what Kira realizes in this episode, and especially that conversation she has with Oda, which we'll talk about, which because I love that scene, is the wormhole represents hope for Bajor and the wormhole has changed things. If you look at the way Kira acted towards Cisco and the Federation in Emissary versus yeah. how she's dealing with Cisco and the Federation and talking about them now, she realizes that the wormhole was a game changer and she realizes that the circumstances have changed a lot. And I think that she has uh, even more hope than she did in, in the pilot, frankly, about no, the future I, I of Bajor now. That. And, she, you know, she has that nice haircut to go with it. Um, oh, yeah, that haircut's a lot better. Yeah, I was going to say, no, it, it's it, it's a much nicer haircut. That was actually uh, that was actually the actress's idea. Um, good. The non-visitor, because she was like, I don't think that Kira would spend a lot of time making herself pretty. I just don't. Um, but, yeah, and I think that, you know, let's talk about that scene between Kira and Odo, because I think... Oh, yeah. It's... I don't know. what 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 did you make of that scene? Again, that's another... I really like their relationship with each other. I, I'm not quite sure why, but I, I don't know. It, it's their well, relation. They, they have, I think, I think you know, the easy familiarity of, of they have the closest have to a next together. gen relationship. Really, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and that scene, it's very clear that you know he knows her better than she knows herself. You know, she knows that you know she comes to him when she has a problem, and I assume vice versa. Um. And, you know, I love that scene when he's, you know, I love the bit where, you know, she's obviously made a decision, but she's still talking. And that's when he calls command, you know, when he calls Cisco down while she's kind of basically in the middle of a sentence, you know. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, she, 
He doesn't need to do any real convincing to her again. Number one, because he knows what she's in there for, but he trusts her conscience and she know he knows that she is going to make the correct decision here. That, you know, she's not going to be genuinely, you know, wondering what the right thing to do. She knows what the right thing to do is. She's really just, you know, stealing herself for, you know, the difficulty of the right thing to do. But yeah, and I that, think that I think that their relationship in this episode is almost a respite from from all of the other uncertainties that we've seen yeah. so far. You know, all of the other characters in in DS9 so far don't really know each other. I mean, even Cisco and Dax don't really know each other and they're feeling that relationship out. This is the only relationship on the show that is is collegial and warm and where they trust each other. I mean, there are other long-standing relationships on the show like between uh, uh, Quark and Odo, but that's a very say, antagonistic relationship. Well, 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 Quark and Odo I actually find really funny because they have kind of the opposite, but in a way they can be, on, you know, they, they are more honest and trusting of each other because they know they can't trust each other. In a yeah. Way. Like, again, there's that, you know, when Odo's arrested for murder and, you know, Quark says, look, I hate the guy, but he's not a murderer. You know, he's, that's, that's, you know, they hate each other and yet, you know, he's, you know, he's going to vouch for him in that way because, you know, he can't, they don't really have a sense of bullshit between the two of them, I think, because they can see right through each other. So what's the point? They understand each other and they respect each other to a certain degree, even if they don't like each other and don't trust each other. Whereas the relationship between Kira and Odo is, is the exact opposite of that. Yeah. And I, and I think, well, no, go ahead. But uh, but again, I think they make good. They could both make good teams in different ways. You know, it, it is clear that Quark is somebody who you guide him in the right decision, you know, the, the right direction. He is going to be extremely competent. You know, I can see him having some very interesting development over the course of the series. Uh, yeah. He I mean, that do that as much. That's that. No, I'm. I'm just saying, like, that's kind of a true statement for for all of the characters well, that's on the fair. show. That's, I think, but that's. I don't know. That's a good thing. I like that. I'm happy with this. No, it is. I think. I think that that you know, it's. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the characters, as as we've seen them so far, uh, change a lot in the course of the seven seasons in a way that just didn't happen on the next generation. Yeah. Um. And that's that's deliberate. Very deliberate, I think, in a way. Um, in, in a way, it's not, but I think in a way it is. Uh, and I'm kind of talking around that because I don't want to get too far down the road of, you know, spoiler territory and telling you exactly what happens. Um, <laughs> even as we find out that Odo becomes president of the universe. Oh, that's adorable. Isn't he it? He can, like, shapeshift into a flag. Oh, that would be nice. So I know you want to talk about Garrick. Yeah. So what... I love. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, I I remember his name and who he was, so that's that's a lot. Okay, well, I like him because I have no idea who the hell he's playing for. Yeah, and I think he's, you know, okay. So number one, Garrick is hardcore hitting on Bashir. Oh yeah, you know he they they he he yeah it's it's adorable. And I mean, Bashir that's... doesn't quite realize it, but everybody else does. Yeah, yeah, like so that. Just... That opening scene where Garrick is like, oh, what an interesting young man, and then just goes over and <laughs> like, puts his hands on his shoulders, and you're like, whoa, okay then. Um, yeah, Garrick feels like a very different character than the rest of the show, and I think Garrick is on a different show than the rest of them, uh, but not in a bad way. No, no. I mean, he's 
he's the, you know, 1996, 97 incarnation of Harry Mudd or Cyrano Jones in a way. He's that, you know, ridiculous. Okay. You no, know, but I mean, he's that kind of character. You know, let's face it, he is very flamboyant and, you know, over the top in a lot of ways. You know, he's really, I mean, at this point, the only person I can, I think he's, who, you know, the, the only per- side I can effectively say he's on is his own. And that's you know, a fairly astute reading. Of that, yeah. Right? Uh, he, he, you know, I, I, I can't quite figure out why he has an interest in Bashir from this episode. Again, talking about, well, they can just plant a seed and let it, you know, deal with, let it germinate for a few episodes and then we'll find out why exactly he's doing this, you know? Um, but he's fun to watch. It's I like watching him play every single side, you know, because he he, he manipulates essentially every single player, in, including, you know, a couple that weren't originally involved in the situation. Yeah. Um, you know, he 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 plays the you know, he plays the fucking Dura sisters like that. That's that's that that's a sign of someone who knows what he's doing. And I like watching con men be con men. Well, that's the thing about Garrick in this episode is you're never really sure what he's thinking. You're never really yeah. sure what he's feeling. And he could, I mean, I, I don't know if he said anything true in the entire episode. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you just you just have no idea. No, and, and at the end, you know, everybody who should be arrested gets arrested. And I think he had something to do with it. But, you know, to, I'm not sure who he sold out at the end. And I think that's the best, you know, that's a mark of a great con, frankly. Well, yeah, and there's this idea that that you know Garrick is a spy for the Cardassian government, and Bashir really seems to believe that he is, and he seems to. I mean, Bashir wants to be a superhero, right? I mean, Bashir has sort yeah. of got this this outsized opinion of himself, or or he really has a desire for hunger, you know, really a, a desire and a hunger for 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 being at the forefront of some like huge, you know, intergalactic. Uh, intrigue and all these kind of things. And he wants to be a very important person. I mean, that even goes back to the pilot when he was talking yeah. to Kira about how he's excited to be on the frontier and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, I will say, I like the way, because in him it reads, he read again, he always reads as very naive, you know, childlike and endearing, yeah. you know. It's not like he comes off as a blowhard or he's arrogant or, you know, he's, he's an asshole. Like, he's just... He really well, has he has these grand ambitions and he has some talent and he just needs to grow up a little bit to be actually he's like a puppy really. Yeah, that's a good way to put it and I think that's why it's so important that he's so young. I mean, if he was 40 or 50, yeah. I think the character would come across very differently. You know, that scene where he he immediately goes up to Ops after Garrick talks to him and he's just kind of like, "Oh my god, oh my god, that's why I talked to me. That's why I talked to me. Ah, oh, what am I going to do? It's so exciting." And everyone just kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, Bashir, whatever. Like, go lay down for a while. You know, you're just yeah. a little you're just overtired. You need to take yeah, a nap." Yeah, 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 yeah. Have a couple cookies and some warm milk and yeah. You'll be fine. But, you know, later on when when he, you know, Garrick continues to have these interactions with Bashir and he's saying, hey, you need to buy a suit at 855, you know, all these kind of things. And and he goes to Cisco and Cisco is basically like, well, yeah, maybe you should just go buy a suit. That sounds like a good idea. You know, Bashir, I think, is starting to, you know, it's interesting that he's a little uncomfortable with the 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 uh, fruits of his own desires in a way. You know, like he wants to be involved in all this stuff and he wants to be in the middle of all this stuff. But when it well, actually happens, he, he's a he scaredy wanted, cat. What he wanted to do was discover a disease or like all these people get hurt in a space battle and he saves every single like he wanted one. He wanted a real doctor of the glory, you know, but he you know, I think he. 
he wants adventure, but from a very safe place. You know, it's not like he's trying to be a pilot or, you know, he's not looking for space captain glory. He's looking for doctor glory. And I I think I think putting him in a situation where there's actually danger to him, we you know, freaks him out a little bit. He will still do it. I think, you know, it's to the character's credit that he does what he needs to do, you know, when push comes to shove. But, you know, I think at the con- when he actually has to contemplate possibly getting hurt, he freaks out a bit. Well, yeah, that's true. And But I think, you know, the other thing that we need to remember is that, you know, all of the Federation crew members that were sent to Deep Space Nine were sent there before the discovery of the wormhole. And so oh, yeah. that has changed things profoundly. You know, they all made decisions and, and, and Starfleet made decisions on personnel based on, Sending them to, frankly, a, a broken down Cardassian space station that... It's called a backwater several times, yeah. Yeah, it's a backwater. It's it's orbiting a planet that has been decimated by by 30 or 40 years of Cardassian occupation, has been basically strip-mined. The, 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 the Bajoran people are, are just tired and scared and frightened and hungry. And, you know, there's a very real implication that this could end in civil war. I mean, they say that even in this episode again. So... And then suddenly they discover oil in the backyard. Exactly. And so now what we have is, you know, we look at Bashir and we say, okay, here's a guy who really wants adventure. And here's a guy who wants to be in the middle of things. And yet he has chosen to, to be on a, on a space station. And not only a space station, but a space station that's very, very uncomfortable. Uh, you know, if he really wanted adventure, why wouldn't he volunteer to be the chief medical officer on, on you know, a, a, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a, a starship? So that kind of reads as an interesting way to put him, I think, as well, because this is a character that uh, is okay with finding adventure wherever it is, and even maybe finding his own adventure in a sense. You know, he doesn't need to go out and and find adventure. He thinks that he will be able to, or he doesn't need to go out and be in a situation where adventure will come to him. He's like, I'll just find it myself. And I think that's what we see in his interactions with Garrick in this episode. Yeah, I think, like, if he just stands in a spot and wishes really hard enough, adventure will happen, and, you know... The, um, the 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 best and the worst thing to ever happen to him is that it turns out he's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, uh, let's face it. I mean, I, I've seen Star Trek before. He is gonna have ten times the adventure he wanted. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of one episode specifically in like the third or fourth season. So yeah. Um, and that's all I'll say about that. Mm-hmm. Before we move on, though, I, I, I the other thing that I want to mention about Garrick is that. You know, he's a different Cardassian than we've seen before. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't really seem to... Uh, again, all the Cardassians are, you know, we are for Cardassia, and then they have a personality on top of that. Again, it's because you don't know who his loyalty is to. You know, he is... He, he's, he's, yeah. He says he's for Cardassia. I mean, he tells Lursen Bator that he's for Cardassia, but... That could be a line. You know, that's the thing about it is like... Yeah, he tells Doc, he tells Bashir, I'm not a spy, wink, wink. <laughs> you know? Well, this, he, this is an episode that is all about characters telling people the exact opposite of what they're actually doing. I mean, Tana Lose tells yeah. Kira that he's he wants to leave the Kon Ma, he wants to become a, 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 a valued member of, of civilian Bajoran society or whatever... There's other Konma that are coming that are also going to do this. They're going to lay down their arms. And, you know, basically we're looking at a, a um, an IRA Sinn Féin situation where the IRA is basically saying, like, hey, we're going to lay down our weapons and be done with this. You know, it's the, yeah. the, the Good Friday Accords or whatever. Um, 
and and that's kind of the context i think it's important to think about that in but but he's actually lying to her and he's saying the exact opposite and he's trying to construct this bomb and blow up the space station or the wormhole or whatever he's trying to do and that doesn't matter so much but at the same time well, that's... i mean i think it does matter so much what he's doing because yeah well yeah that's you know true. you know it, it, it's it do, you know that was a very nice bit of misdirection on the episode's part because it does look like he's about to blow up the the space station and you know, oh my God, that's, you know, you're going to get the Cardassians, the Bajorans and the Federation pissed off at you and ready, you know, because you killed citizens of all. And he's just going for the wormhole again. He wants to turn back time, make things to before the Cardassians, you know, invaded and they have everything will be fine. And, you know, her point is that this, the wormhole is already opened. We're already dealing with this, you know, it's going to hurt us even more if now you collapse it. Yeah, that's true. And I think, I, that... you know, it, it's he refuses again. He's still in that battle from five years ago. He refuses to make this, you know, when Kira's point, And I think the show agrees with her and I agree with her that this is their opportunity and they can do this right. And they need to figure out the best way to do this that will benefit the Bajorans the most. And again, maybe the Feder, you know, the Federation may be the best custodians of this. Um but at the end of the day, you know, his methods are hurting Bajorans. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think that he doesn't realize that. I mean, he's still trying to... He's still fighting a war that's done. Right. He's still trying to fight the Cardassians, and he's still fighting a war that, that's over and done with. And I mean, okay, maybe the Cardassians don't think so because the Cardassians are going after him, right? And there's this whole thing in the episode about not, yeah, but turn, not turning him over to the Cardassians, but at the same time, he is killing Cardassians still. I mean, there. Let, let, I have to be honest, you know, even though we don't like the Cardassians, they have, they're in the right on this, you know, when, um, sure, sure when, yeah. when the, you know, the Cardassian captain, you know, basically is just like, look, you know, he tells Cisco, you know, you should have listened to me, you know, in the first place when, you know, shit's going down. And yeah, if they had listened to the Cardassian, you know, they could have avoided all of this. Yeah, and I think that that's his point. And I think it's that that's... interesting that the show lets Cardassians be right a lot. Well, that's what I that's what I like about the show so far is that it doesn't do the obvious thing at any point. You know, I think that the show is really trying to not beat us over the head with it because I don't think it's making it obvious, but really saying like all bets are off. You know, the Cardassians could be right, the Cone Ma could be right. Who is Garrick? What's going on with him? You know, this is a show that's much more comfortable with, with I think, frankly, moral ambiguity and and plot ambiguity than than the Next Generation ever was. And let's face it, if the um, you know, after a while, anytime we see a saw a Romulan on Next Gen, we would be waiting for their plan to explode in their face. You know, the fact that the Cardassians are right a lot of the times, and that their intelligence is usually right, and that their military technology is good, you know. That makes them, frankly, more of a threat than if they were wrong every single time, you know, if they were always bluffing, if they were always trying to, you know, sometimes they're telling you exactly what they're doing. Well, and I think that's the interesting thing about about the 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 Cardassians in general, I think, is that they're always telling you what they're yeah. doing. I mean, we I think we <laughs> made the point, you know, when they started appearing on Deep Space Nine or on The Next Generation uh, more than the first appearance is that they were kind of the anti Romulans in a way, you know, the Romulans are always about sort of these, these elaborate plans and machinations and all of these things. And, and the Cardassians are not, they're very explicit in what they want to do and, and how they're going to do it. And if you don't believe them, that's 
your problem, really. And and if something bad happens, it's your fault. I mean, it's the Cardassian's fault, of course, but it's also well, the person's fault for not believing that they're going to do what they're going to say they're going to do. <laughs> and I think that that's what makes Garrick so interesting is that yeah. he's the first Cardassian where we're not sure if what he's saying that he's going to do or what he is is true. Is uh, he even our Cardassian? I don't know. Is he? Oh, that was an interesting pause. <laughs> 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 but yeah, but I think, you know, the, the the best thing to say about Garrick is is stay tuned. That no, that that was it like it was very clear from this episode he's going to be a recurrer. He the mystery of who exactly the buck stops with with him is going to be something that they're going to tease for a little while, I think. And it again, I really liked watching him because I had no idea where he was going to end up. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird seeing the Dura sisters because I just saw them die a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I kind of had this mental thing where I'm like, wait a second. They're de- oh, no, this is actually before that. Okay. That yeah, 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 no, yeah. No, I, I forgot that it was a couple of years, but uh, always a pleasure. Always enjoyable. Always well, a nice stay. Gotta gotta love those little boob windows. That they I have. love the boob windows. Well, I think that the, it's interesting because, you know, the show is is not afraid to use characters from the next generation. And yeah. frankly, and frankly, use characters from the next generation that I would never expect to pop up on this show. Like, yeah, exactly. Like the what, you know, from this episode, they're up to no good. They, you know, they're some kind of international crooks. But, you know, it doesn't really matter exactly. But it it it, it makes it feel more like a world. Again, the two shows having had those bit of you know, communications or having stuff from one pop in and another makes it seem like, I mean, in general, I feel like this, ep- this series has a lot more of things happening at once. Um, frankly, in man alone, there was that one really great scene when there's the riot on the uh, promenade. And then you see like Dr. Bashir looking through his office and they're talking to, you know, Cisco and all of that. And it, it makes it really clear, like where everybody is located at the time. There's a sense more of physicality that wasn't in next gen. Yeah, I think so. I think that's true, and that I think that's one of the things that I that I like about the show. You know, is again, it, yeah, it feels more like a place than than the Enterprise ever did. And of course, well, the, the, it wasn't really important that the Enterprise felt like a place because it wasn't really about the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I mean, hell, the series is named after the after the space station, so it it is the character here. Yes, yeah, to a <laughs> large degree, I think that that is true. Yeah. Well. I think that's it for these two episodes. I'm excited that you're enjoying the show so far. I, I think am. that I think you're getting exactly what you should be getting out of it at this point. Oh, good. And, I'm uh, glad that I get an A. You do get an A. Uh, not so, an A plus. <laughs> I don't believe in A pluses. They're bullshit. Well, they're bullshit. If you have any opinions about either of these episodes that you would like to share with us, uh, please leave a comment on the post for this episode that you can find at trekaboutshow.com. Uh, please follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash truckaboutshow. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash truckaboutshow. And the best way to help the show find new listeners, again, we are right at the beginning of Deep Space Nine. We would like to uh, get as many people listening as possible. Um, I think it's going to be a really exciting adventure for Richard, someone who's never seen Deep Space Nine before. Uh, Deep Space Nine is the Star Trek show that I think more than any other has had uh, uh a resurgence of, of sort of popularity and, and critical acclaim um, after the fact. Uh, it's kind of like the cult Star Trek show. So leave us a positive iTunes review, either by going to the iTunes application on your computer 
or opening up the podcast app on your iPhone or iTouch device. iPad as well, I believe. That would be an iTouch device. Next week, we are continuing our descent into the first season of New Space Nine by talking about the episodes Babel and Captive Pursuit. So we'll talk to you then.